beautiful friends. Welcome to the Arise to Life podcast, where we share real and raw conversations about our sometimes crazy, but always beautiful kind of lives. I'm Madison. Hey, it's Jill. It's me, Sarah. And hey, it's Ashlyn. And we are so excited that you're joining us today. Our desire is to encourage every girl in every season to arise to the abundant life that is waiting for her. Whether you're wrestling your toddlers or having a cup of coffee, we're here to come alongside of you and share the ups and downs of our faith, friendship, and everything in between. Hey everyone, welcome to, I can't say this is episode 10 because this is a little different. Um, We are trying something new in the studio. So today we just have Jill and your favorite your favorite arise person, Sarah. Oh, <laughs> you went there. I did. Sarah has her sexy voice with her today. She has a little cold, and she demanded that I say <laughs> she's coming with her sexy voice. That's awful. I it is. demand, but I I, mean, I do have my sexy voice on, and I'm not gonna sing "Smelly Cat." Okay. Good. <laughs> uh, I mean, you want to sing "Smelly"? No, I don't think I should, Shabby guys. Yeah, it might might not be best. <laughs> I think it's a good. Uh, So a little bit ago, we asked uh, everybody what they wanted to hear from Arise. And one of the things that people said is that they wanted to hear testimonies. And we believe that testimonies are incredibly powerful. And we defeat the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so we are going to take a little bit of a deep dive into each of us Arise girls and our testimonies. And then after that, we want to branch out and just feature different people and share testimonies and just give God glory for the things that he's done. Because, you know, Sarah has an incredibly powerful story. And a lot of you have heard it. You've been to Ashes to Beauty and you've heard her story, but Sarah battled addiction for 13, no, eight Eight. years. Yeah. Eight years you battled addiction and you've been free from that for almost 13 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you're working full-time ministry. Full-time. Working at Encounter Co. Yeah. Doing the podcast and you're everybody's favorite Arise member. I mean, does that surprise you? Yeah. Look at where you've come. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, you know, thinking back to 14 years ago, in the middle of your addiction, could you have ever believed that this would be your life? No, not at all. I tear up a little bit because I think of the broken girl that that person was. Mm-hmm. And she would, I couldn't even, I mean, I didn't know anything about myself. I didn't know anything about the people around me. So there's no way I would have imagined, let alone walking with the Lord today, you know? Yeah, yeah that's amazing. So, in our you know normal testimonies when we write them out and share them we share a lot of the details of uh you know the the timeline and the things that God did and so today I really just want to take a deep dive behind the scenes um and just get real personal about what you were going through how you got there and just different things like that so first I just want you to describe like what was a day like in your life then like in the middle of your addiction what did what did your life look like Oh man, the the best way I could describe it is just constant running and getting nowhere. So, I mean, I woke up in the morning and I hit the floor run. If I even slept, I, you know, it was when the morning came, I was after my high. So I was just constantly chasing something that only worked for a minute, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So it was like a, the, you know, the gerbil or the hamster on the wheel. It was just, and just brokenness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you wake up every morning full of shame of the way you're living your life, and your only option is to get your escape, which is more drugs and more shame and more everything. So it's like hard, you know, you you said the hamster wheel. I mean, that's hard to get out of, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So my daughter, Mia, she's nine, right? And they are often, nine-year-olds are often talking about what they want to be when they grow up. I want to be a doctor or a singer or an actress or whatever. There's no nine-year-old that would say, I want to grow up and be an addict. Yeah. Um, so what is it that led you down that path to addiction? And it, you, you didn't intentionally say, you know, I want to take meth every day for eight years. It, you mm-hmm. know, it, you kind of took one step at a time. But what was it that led you down that path? Well, you know, with not going into any great detail, we had um, family trauma as a child. And then my dad was an alcoholic. So my house was not, my home life was not very peaceful. My mom did amazing, but there was a lot of turmoil and hatred and hurt in our home. And so I remember coming to the age of 15 and I remember it. I remember the first time I used and it was after a football game and we left and I knew, I knew the crowd I was going with, but they accepted me. You know, they accepted me as I was, and I was just this girl who was carrying all of this weight, and I walked into the world that the more messed up I was, the better it was, and for I felt free, and I felt um, at peace. Now I know it wasn't like genuine freedom and genuine peace, but it was a world that accepted me with open arms, and so I dove in. Yeah, I mean, acceptance is big, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of kids, you know, specifically as you're like you said 15 is mm-hmm. when you, you ventured down that road. You know, I think a lot of kids that age just want that acceptance, you know, and if you think about it, did those people like they accepted you, but did they really accept you yeah. or did they just want you to be messed up like them? Yeah. Because just, it made them feel better. Yeah, exactly. They just need a company in their misery. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, you talked about how you would wake up and you would just run towards that high. You know, we were born with a God-shaped hole and we run and we chase things until we fill it with the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so you, what you were probably searching for all that time was God, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, it's this cheap mistress almost like you think you're going to get this fulfillment and how long does it last? Right. And then you said every morning it would be like, I got to find more. I got to find more. And because can anything? No, it never filled it. So yeah. that's why it was the constant just race and run because it never, it didn't even come close. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard you say that you got saved in the middle of your addiction. Mm-hmm. Tell us that story. What happened? My um, my grandpa was a preacher and so I felt the pressure of it. Um, but I actually had a friend who came home at the age of, we were right around 16. So I had started an addiction um, and I was pretty hot and heavy, but right around 16, she went to a church camp. Her mom seen the path we were going on, sent her on a church camp. And um, she came home and was like showing me the Bible. And I did, I had a moment of, well, the Lord like revealed himself to me for that week. And I thought, okay, maybe I can do this instead of this. And so I got saved by my grandpa. And some of it was, you know, you know, your grandpa's not going to be around forever and the pressure that you feel from the family. So some of it was that, I'll be honest. Um, the day I went, I was late to my own baptism <laughs> and I has, was like fixing my makeup as I drove because I came from a party, you know, 
And, um, but I remember I, I do believe, and I know that I accepted the Lord and that he came into my life because from that point on it, the using became harder. Like the spiritual warfare in my mind became even more real because now I had the Holy Spirit speaking to me before it wasn't bad because he wasn't there, but now I had the Holy Spirit speaking and it was really like the angel and the, and the devil on your shoulders. Like, I mean, it was just a constant, it made it worse, honestly. Mm. So as you said that, like God just revealed something to me and that's that when you first started your addiction, you said it was because they accepted you into your world. Right. Mm. And God accepted you the same. Yeah. You said they accepted you just as you were, but he did the same thing. That's a good point. He He's... came and he covered you in his blood in the yeah. middle of your addiction. And, yeah. and he truly accepted you. Yeah. But what I love is that he meets you where you're at. His love is so good that he meets you where you're at yeah. in the middle of your addiction. But he didn't leave you there. No. So let's talk about the journey from you getting saved in the middle of your addiction, how long did it take before you were truly free after you got saved, before you were truly free from your addiction? Oh man. So that was 16 and I believe it was, I was 23 when I got clean. Mm -hmm. So I mean, at that point on, the game was on. I had, I ran and used more than I could imagine because I was trying to drown the Holy Spirit out. And so when I got to 23, I got clean, but it wasn't by choice. I, you know, I was facing prison time and I was on bond and all these things. So there was a long period there before I even like had accepted that I was going to have to live this life sober. Yeah. Were there ever any moments during that time where you felt God speaking to you and you know it was him? Oh, yeah. I remember one. I remember this was probably one of the lowest of my lows and I was cleaning I was behind my couch and I had our electricity was turned off like so I'm just in this apartment with not even any electricity and I had a candle cleaning I don't know what I was really cleaning I was just back there pilfering like there wasn't stuff back there and I um I remember I passed out back there with a candle burning and one of my friends like actual true friends that we I grew up with came over to check on me and she found me back there. And I remember her like leaving just heartbroken and thinking like, what What are you doing? Like she's asked me, what are you doing? And I remember then that was one night that I really just cried out to the Lord. And I thought, you know, like you came into my life, I'm saved, then why is this so hard? Hmm. And I just remember being broken right there. And I remember feeling the peace in the protection. I mean, even the people that would come to my house didn't come to my house that night. You know, like he left me alone, I think, just to fill it out and to lean into him. I mean, I didn't stop, but I do remember that moment. So I want you right now to speak into the Sarah that was laying on the ground saying, I'm saved now. Why is this so hard? You know, like right now you're in a whole different place and you're wise and you have a relationship with the Lord and you can look into who you were and you can speak into that. So what do you say to Sarah in that moment right now? Oh my goodness. I would say that he will never stop pursuing you. Oh, I mean, there is, 
there is nothing that you can do that he's ever going to stop loving and chasing after you. And that that hard, like you choose your heart in life, right? So you choose your, I'm going to walk with the Lord and it's going to be hard, or I'm going to live in hell every day and it's going to be even more hard, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, I mean, I think I would just tell her like you are, you can, you tell me all the time, you can do hard things. You can get up off the floor and you can walk this out. And this isn't who I believe. Jill, I believed in the middle of that addiction that that's who God created me to be. The enemy had twisted it in my mind that I remember telling my mom one day, like, God made me this way, so you've just got to accept it. Mm. You know, so I would I would tell the addict, and I have got to tell addicts today that this isn't who you are. This is not who you were created to be. There's so much more for you. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and I think, you know, she's speaking into her and her addiction and in the middle of like her kind of one of her lowest moments. And that speaks into so many people. And even if you're not in addiction and maybe you're just like in the middle of your mess at home right now and the kids are all around and you just can't find one minute to get alone with the Lord or whatever it is that you're surrounded with today, he's pursuing you. Yeah. And there's nowhere he won't go to find you and to bring you home to him. And so... I, this just came to me right now. He leaves the 99 Mm. to come to me. So let me ask you, thinking of that statement, he leaves the 99 for me. What is that moment that you felt like he got you back and it was, you're not running from him anymore. He came for you in that moment. I will say it's a process. So there was many moments like that. But one moment that sticks out to me is I had been clean for a little bit. And I was at home with my parents, and I'm 23 years old, and I'm stuck at home, right? My mom's taking my, I mean, I felt like a teenager. She's taking my car away. I'm on bond and all these things. And I called her, and I was I was just an awful person back then. So I'm just being mean to her, telling her, you know, you're trapped me here. I can't leave. Like, I'm going to call somebody so they can come get me. And my mom being my mom said, well, why don't you stop complaining and turn a message on or something and like get alone with the Lord. And I'm like, whatever, mom. And I remember that voice saying, why don't you try it? Which I used to think was a voice telling me to try drugs. You know what I mean? So it was like, okay. So I turned a a message on and it was Joyce Meyer. I can even tell you. And she was preaching on John 14 and she read John 14, 27. It was my peace I give you, not as the world gives you, but I give you. And Mm -hmm. I thought in that moment was when God spoke really loud. He said, you have been searching for peace and I've been right here all along. Mm. And he's like, you've been looking in the world through drugs, friends, men, whatever. And I've been right here all along and I'm leaving it with you. Like it's your choice. That's good. Um, So you mentioned your mom Mm -hmm. and I feel like it's hard to talk about your testimony without also talking about the role that your mom played in you coming out of the drug world. And so in whenever you share your testimony at A to B, a lot of times your mom is up there with you yeah. and, and you're sharing kind of the timeline of this is what was going on in Sarah's addiction. And then over here, Melanie, your, your mom's Melanie and Melanie is praying and writing out her prayers and showing up on your doorstep and at the jailhouse and all of these things. So her journey crossing yours, what does it mean to you that your mom prayed for you? Because I know there are a lot of moms out there who are praying for their kids and they're getting to a point where it's like, okay, I've 
thought this many times, over and over again, I've thought, this is it, she's coming back, she's clean, you know, and then they just go right back into drugs and they're getting discouraged and they're getting to a place where they're like, why do I even bother? It's not getting any better. You know, what does it mean to you that your mom kept going? It means everything to me. I honestly don't, I wouldn't be here today probably had my mom not stood in the gap for me. And that's what we got to do for, like, if you have a loved one today, you got to stand in the gap. Mm -hmm. But I will say... Then I thought she was, I remember her coming and praying on my doorstep. And I remember peeking out to her one day and being like, you're making me look crazy. Get out of here. And it was not, it was actually the meth head in the at apartment, you know. that I'm guessing those weren't the words you used Yeah, either. no, it was not. It's a little bit harsh. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I told her to leave. But I'll tell you what, that journal, she kept the journal, a prayer journal for me. And she wrote him down. And I remember that day too, just like I told you of the verse he spoke into me. I remember that day, too, when she got that journal out because she didn't show it to me for a while. And she got it out and she said, I want to show you something. And she showed me the prayers. And I was like, you just wrote this like this. You know what I mean? Like it, there was no way it added up. The whole time I was searching in drug addiction, too, I was searching for unconditional love, which came from the Lord. I know that now, but that my mom displayed the Lord in my life at that time and how he loved and how he was chasing me and how he was pursuing me. So I'm in everything. Yeah. So the unconditional love, I think in the middle of your addiction, you probably thought the unconditional love looked like pay my bills. Would you really leave me homeless? Yeah. Would you really not like, would you really take my car? I heard you mention that she left you with no car. Now you look back and you see the unconditional love was the hard things like the saying no when you wanted certain things and continuing to pray and give you over to the Lord, right? Yeah. It was hard. I, like I, like you said, it didn't feel at that moment. I was, it didn't feel like she loved me. You know, it didn't feel like love. I thought she's leaving me behind just like everybody else is. And, you know, it just kind of fed into the enemy's lies even more. As he told me, like, this is who you're meant to be. It was like, yeah, even my own mom can leave me behind, mm-hmm. you know? And I know it wasn't easy for her, but the an addict, I know for myself, like the enemy, conv- he mimics God. So he convinces me to think that that was how I was created to be, that um, my, they didn't care about me because they took these things away when really that was unconditional love. Yeah. I mean, that was loving somebody to do the hard thing. Yeah. I've heard you say before that when you're dealing with addicts and you think about, you know, should I be doing this or should I not be, you know, you, you've said the thing that feels harder to do is probably the one that you should be doing. And I think just being honest with the Lord, like he wants real honest prayers in that moment. So I know my mom just gave him real, like, this doesn't seem fair. How could you let her go down this path? Help me get her out of this path. Like she was just real and raw with the Lord during that moment. And then she did do the hard things. You have to be a fighter in spiritual. When you're in the middle of a spiritual battle, which is what we were in the middle of, you have to pull your pants up and be a fighter. And my mom's always been a little bulldog fighter, but um, she wasn't afraid to go to battle for me, you know? And I think one thing that made a huge difference in your mom's battle is that she recognized that Melanie Long is not battling against Sarah. Yeah. We're battling a spiritual enemy, and this is spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. And so she took the battle to the right place. She's not taking it against you. She's taking it against the enemy that's trying to destroy you. She even prayed for um, the guy I was with. I mean, the people who were giving me the drugs, she started trying to change her mind on that and prayed for Mm -hmm. that. You know, I mean, in her prayer journal, it was like, I mean, to a T, it was like, I pray that she got arrested, Mm -hmm. you know, and I got arrested. And it was like, I prayed that... 
it eventually it was like, I pray you take this man out of her life. And he did. Like, I prayed this, this, and this, you know. So I know that there's like the timelines match up. You said she was praying that you would get arrested and then you got arrested. And she was praying certain things and they came true. And I know there's a really cool story about how she started praying after you were free, right? She started praying for a godly man for you. And what happened? She started praying for a godly man in February 2010. Or nine, 2009, and that was when Michael gave his life to the Lord. It was yeah. in February 2009. We knew nothing about him, didn't know any of it, not even. He's from Lake the Ozark. We're from Long Lane, you know. And so, you know, the two of you are now doing full-time ministry together. And so he had, how many years was Michael in addiction? 13 to 26. Mm. Wow. I just think it's cool how he just is orchestrating it all. And in those moments, like, I picture Melanie Long praying in certain moments where she felt like I should just give up nothing is happening I've been praying for all these years I just should give up but she kept going and in those moments where she felt like nothing was happening there was so much happening in your life and Michael's life that led her to the point where she finally saw the breakthrough yeah I'm glad you said that too because she had people like she worked she worked in the post office, so not there was only like two or few people that actually prayed, but she seeked those people out every day, and they prayed over my mom. Mm-hmm. And then in church every Sunday, her little Sunday school class, like they prayed over her. These women have watched me walk, you know, this out, but she seeked people out where she could get strength from. So that's yeah. super important. Yeah. Don't take the battle on your own, but also my I remember my mom saying like, my dad one time, because they were letting me sit in jail, and my dad, my dad one time said, I can't believe you're leaving her in there. And she said, if you're not for me, you're against me and stay out of my way. Like, because she was on a battle for my, yeah. she was saving my life. Yeah. And so even the people that are closest to you, if you got to say, hey, right now, if you can't say anything positive to me right now as I fight for my daughter's life in addiction, then I can't, I have to put a boundary up and not be around you. Yeah. I just want to speak into these moms right now who are praying for their kids who are in addiction. One thing I noticed is that that battle that your mom fought, I believe developed in her this great ability for intercessory prayer. Mm -hmm. And I think that right now, like she recently started praying for me and so many things have happened in my life and I have felt her prayers Mm -hmm. so powerfully. And I really believe that that is something that was developed during that time and that her journey of faithfulness to praying for you developed this gift in her. And so can you speak into the mom? Like from you're coming from a place of I was in addiction and my mom prayed for me and it meant so much to me. So can you speak into that mom that right now is feeling like she's on the verge of giving up because nothing is happening? I would say to never give up and to to pray for compassion. I feel like the Lord, I I heard today that compassion in Latin is co-suffering. You're already suffering beside your child. Mm -hmm. So now pray for the Lord's compassion, the Lord's grace, the Lord's mercy, and the people around you. And I would just say, I know it's you hear it all the time, that addict is going to let you down, but you don't give up on the Lord. Mm -hmm. You you can give up on the addict a little bit, but never give up on the Lord and what the Lord's going to do. Yeah, that's a really good word uh, because you know, God is faithful. Yeah. Um, he's never going to leave you or forsake you. And maybe you can't trust them, mm-hmm. but you can trust him. Yeah. And I think one thing that's important to remember is that 
God loves you even more than Melanie Long does. Yeah. And so in those moments where she was fighting on your behalf, he also was. Yeah. You know, he wasn't leaving you out to dry and only going after you because Melanie Long loves you. He was going after you because he loves you. And like you said, he's pursuing you and there's nothing that's going to make him stop. And I think give time for the Lord to work because this wasn't an overnight success. Like this was my mom battling for quite some time. Yeah. And look for how the Lord's working. Like my mom delivered mail. Well, she had one route. And then when I moved, her route changed to where she was my mailman. Like the Lord was playing it out perfectly. That's awesome. So I'd say, ask him like, Lord, show me where you're working. You know, and even in that small moment, she got to come by my house every day. I hated it, but she loved it. She prayed over your mail every day. I mean, Melanie Long, she's a warrior. She's amazing. Yeah, she is. One day we'll have her on here. Yeah, that'd be I awesome. mean, she would give an awesome testimony. Yeah, she would. Yeah. So one more thing that I want to touch on before we close up here is that I think that a lot of times people will look at an addict and just judge like, oh, the drug is more important than their family or, you know, their kid, like a mom who has abandoned her baby because she's chasing addiction. What can you, like right now, your desire is to work with addicts, like see them free Mm -hmm. and be God's hand and feet in serving them. So how do you love them the way that God does in the middle of their mess? How do you love an addict? Well, I think like you touched on it earlier, just to know if I'm alone with the Lord and if I'm really walking with the Spirit and letting the Spirit lead me when it comes to these relationships with an addict, He is always going to show me the places where I could do better in the relationship, not where they can. So He'll show me where they began to get broken. He'll show me what their family was like. He'll show me, well, it might look this way, but she feels this way. She feels alone or she feels broken because I'll tell you, like you said, I didn't wake up as a 15 year old and go to the grocery store and pick out the crackhead Barbie. Like that was never my dreams and ambitions was to be a drug addict, but I was broken. And just like the enemy does to in the simplest ways to us, he just tears us down every day. So when he's got a person at their lowest and that they think that that's all they're made to do, then I think when you can look at it at the spirit, I think like you said, you have to look at it spiritual and not physical. Mm -hmm. So if I can look at the spiritual side of it, then I can go and grab her by the face, like in the middle of her muck and her mire, like, like the Lord does. He did it for me. So I know he'll do it for her and I can get in the middle of it and not look at all the things that she's done wrong, but I can meet her where she's at and say like, he loves you. He's pursuing you. There is a place in this world for you, mm-hmm. you know, and that, in that high you're chasing and that hurt that you're trying to hide will never be touched until you see his, him, yeah. until you reach for him. Mm-hmm. It will not even, you won't even come close, like stop running, you know? Yeah, that's really good. So the last thing I want to touch on, it it's really standing out to me earlier. You talked about how you felt like that's just the way God created you and that's who you are. And so I feel like sorting out your identity in Christ has been something that you had to do in order to truly get free from your addiction. Talk about that a little bit. Um, I that's key. Um, first off, you with an, I had to get clean. I had to sober up. I had to get clear-minded for a minute. And I remember going into, and that goes to every addict. So if you can get them into treatment, that's the best case. Like, I mean, I know a lot of the treatment centers aren't always after the best for them, but they need to be a clear mind. But I remember going into 
um, a counselor's office. They had sent me into a counselor's office because I just cried every time I went in to see my probation officer, like, and basically told them, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna make it tomorrow. Like, I don't, I barely made it today. I'm probably not going to be clean tomorrow, you know? So they sent me to a counselor's office. I sent in the counselor's office and he made me fill out a list of all the drugs I had done. And I, I marked almost every one of them. And I remember crying as I marked them and it wasn't crying because I did them. It was crying because I was never going to get to do them again. Mm. And so I was losing my best friend. So allow an addict a little bit of time to mourn it. Like, mm. you know, so I was sitting there mourning it and he's just staring at me. And I rem- I, I remember, I like can see it right now. And after he got the paper to me, he, he said, you know, it's really sad watching you fill that out. You know, you're always going to be an addict. So you're going to have to li- learn to live with this. And I was just like, in that moment right there is when I thought, if I'm always going to be an addict, then why am I even trying? Why am I even trying to get clean? Mm -hmm. So the Lord came in and showed me that I am not always an addict. So like fast forward, he showed me you are not always going to be an addict. That's a lie. Mm -hmm. That's how the enemy holds you down. And then he started to show me that I'm redeemed, you know, that um, I'm a new creation. I'm all these. So it, it, it literally is repeating those things over and over and getting around the right people who are going to say those things to you. Yeah. And maybe even speaking those things to a person that is struggling, you know, being that the one that speaks life into them. And I think I said, like I said, just give them time because I mourned, like I had a grieving period. Like it was like breaking up with my best, my boyfriend, my best friend or losing them. Like I knew I couldn't do that if I didn't want to go to prison. So I had to like, I was sad about it. I cried about it. I, you know, I was losing my best friend and that was the drugs. Mm. I know I've heard your mom say before that you can't kick out the enemy if you're friends with him. You know, he's only going to leave if you tell him to leave and you want him to leave. And so I think that that's, you know, important to allow them that time to grieve and realize, okay, this isn't really my friend. It was just a cheap imitation of my true best friend. Which is God, right? He's good, yeah. So, man, what an amazing conversation. And I know that this is going to touch the hearts of so many people. And I think it can even apply uh, to people who aren't necessarily in addiction, but are just in a place where maybe they've been running after something that was a cheap imitation. That wasn't the God-shaped, or they're, they're trying to fill that God-shaped hole with something other than God. And it doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. Right. Um, it can be their job. It can be a boyfriend or a husband or whatever, you know, there's something that they're chasing. And so I think that this can speak into so many. I think it can get hope to the mom of addicts and all mm-hmm. sorts of people. So Thank you so much for sharing your story and for your willingness to be vulnerable. Um, And I can't wait to see how this touches lives. So if uh, you listened to this and you felt God speak to you, we'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love for you to send us a message. Also, we wanted to remind you all that we posted our shirts. Listen, if nobody buys a Sarah and Friends shirt, I'm going to be embarrassed for life. So that is a lot of pressure. Like, I'm bringing the pressure on. If Sarah touched your heart, go buy a Sarah. I mean, come on. Go rep her. (laughs) No, but seriously, we have, uh, you know, this is kind of an expansion to what we've been doing. And there are so many other things that God has put on our heart, and we need money to do it. Yeah. Uh, Just so honest. Yeah. And so the, the, 
shirts aren't for us to earn a lot of money or to make money. It's for us to have some some money to put back into the ministry and to buy some things that we need and you know put on some events that is on our hearts to put on and stuff. So we would so appreciate your support. Um, and another way that you could support us is if you want to subscribe to our podcast so that whenever we release an episode, you're notified and you don't miss anything. Leave us a review. Go to Facebook. Instagram, whatever, comment, like all of those things are super helpful to us as we're trying to share God's love and just do everything we can to get our message out to people. So we love you all. Sarah, thank you for your story. Thank you, Jill. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.